0: Listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Carl Safina, ecologist and founding president of the Safina Center. This podcast is supported by the Jan Mischalski Foundation. For many animals, people for a long time have said that they don't have any thoughts or they don't have any emotions or they're certainly not capable of doing any planning, they have no sense of themselves. And none of that is true at all. I think that what we see with these other animals is that their existence is very vivid to them. With the social animals in particular, they know who they are because of who they are with. They understand themselves as individuals within the context of other individuals. They have group identities and they are capable of communicating things, sometimes with sound, you know, with what you might call verbal communication, you just see really all the time that they know where they're going, they know who they're with, and they know what they're doing. They're very aware of the kinds of decisions that they're making. And in some cases, they're aware of needing to get back to who is in their group or trying to find who is in their group. I mean, just for instance, you know, the whales that we call killer whales or orca whales, they travel about 75 miles a day. Where they travel, the visibility is almost never more than about 50 feet. And yet they go to different destinations that may be hundreds of miles apart where they've been before. And two or three decades after somebody has started to study a particular group, they will see the exact same individuals still together because they recognize their voices in the ocean when they cannot see each other. And they know who is in their group and what group they belong to. They're not just bumbling around. They're not just unconsciously swimming forward, belping down things that they're motivated to eat. They do understand a lot about what they're doing in the moment. And you know, I'll say this for humans and our brains. I think that in terms of many kinds of things, we are the extreme animal. We're certainly, technologically speaking, there's no comparison to what humans can do among all the animals that make some tools, but that's just a matter of degree, mostly, not really a matter of kind, it's a matter of degree. And I think the most crucial thing is that while we are such extraordinary tinkerers that we can keep doing trial and error and figure things out and creating unbelievable kinds of technologies, We are not very smart about what we do with those things or seeing them through to the implications of what happens when we do these things. If we were wiser about it, we would conduct ourselves much more differently than the all out charge that we conduct where often we just follow some technology along without caring about what will happen ultimately or denying what is happening as a result of the overuse of those technologies or the overpopulation of the world by human beings. The other thing that we cannot seem to tame is that we are capable of extraordinary violence, much, much more so than any other animals. And even though most people are very peaceful most of the time, The amount of violence that we can unleash, and when you look at the reasons for it that are so literally insane, are a tremendous blot, I think, on our intelligence. It's almost like, as a species, we are just like chimpanzees with automatic weapons, or we're just teenagers who are constantly doing stupid and reckless things, but we never seem to collectively, as a species, really grow out of it if we were as logical and as empirical as all the other animals and were capable of the technology we're capable of, we would not be creating planetary problems that we are not psychologically capable of solving. And that's what we are doing. Balancing, I mean, for people who really care about these kinds of things, it can be really tough. And I I sometimes think of a quote by E.B. White where, He says he wakes up in the morning, is torn by the urges to save and to savor the world. So, you know, in other words, like to be involved in solving the problems and yet not forget the tremendous beauty of being alive in this miraculous world. What we're trying to do here at the Safina Center is to make an emotional connection with people between what we know scientifically and factually, and what the implications of that are. What needs to be done? Where are we headed? Information is not really what gets people to do things. What gets people to do things is their values. They filter information through their values. You can tell somebody about something you think is a terrible problem, and they might say, yes, that's a terrible problem. And other people will say, I don't care about that. So we're trying to make people care, motivate people to respond, to do what it is that they can do through our work. And what our work is, is we make fact-based creative products, creative products, meaning books, films, images, paintings, sound art, those kinds of things. And um, when I say we at the Safina Center, I mean basically our fellows. We, we have people who we call our fellows. We help to raise the profile of their work. So we're trying to work on values. If you resonate with the values we're expressing, you would feel differently about the prices of things. You know, for, just for instance, oil and coal are really very cheap. So the price of oil and coal is very cheap. But the cost of those things involves, well, let's just say coal for one example. It, it involves blowing the tops off of mountains throughout Appalachia, occasionally burying a few people, giving lots of workers lung disease, changing the heat balance of the entire planet and acidifying the ocean. That's the cost of it. It's nowhere in the price. So we say, oh, this is cheap. That's because we only have a transactional pricing on these things so that the companies can get us to buy that stuff because we've created a life for ourselves where we all use it. We're all complicit to one extent or another. And they price it so that the better options remain more expensive so that we continue to do things that actually have a very, very high cost. That's all part of the cost, but it's not in the price. If our values were different and if we really understood this in a much more complete way, then those things would be very, very expensive. They'd be prohibitively expensive because we would understand that ruining the world and hurting people is something that you can't really morally put a price on. The person who invented GDP, gross domestic product, explicitly said this is only a measure of the size of the economy. It's not a measure of how good things are, but everybody ignored that. And they just use it to measure the size of the economy. And we have this Ponzi scheme really, where the current economic system is completely predicated on the size that everything must keep growing and getting bigger on a planet that is not getting bigger. and. The economy is based on the idea that you have to put more and more material through the system. That is what growth is. That is not improvement. Well, I think for me, the living world is enormously enriching to human life. I just loved animals. They're always just totally fascinating. They're not here for us. They're just here like we're just here. They're of this world as much as we are of this world. And I think the thing that I'm constantly learning and appreciating more and more is that life on this planet is an absolute miracle in literal terms, because, you know, we have laws of physics, like the speed of light or gravitational attraction. And the laws of physics are the same throughout the universe. The word we have for something that breaks the laws of physics is miracle and living things because they don't follow the second law of thermodynamics very carefully. They break that law by becoming more and more complex. A living thing is the exact opposite of disorder. It's self-ordering, self-recreating, self-perpetuating, Self-proliferating, it breaks the laws of physics. That is literally a miracle. And the only place in the universe where we have detected living things is this planet. So we tend to take living for granted. I think that's one that, that might be the biggest limitation of human intelligence is to not understand with awe and reverence and love that we live in a miracle that we are part of and that we have the ability to either nurture or destroy. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.